It's pride and ego. If you say, I, I, I don't want any of it because I don't want to get in the way of people seeing Jesus. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Is the Lord our God. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm excited for uh, our missions team. Thanks, guys, for going and continuing this partnership that we have there in, uh, in Romania. And we commit that we will be praying for you. We can't wait to hear your stories. Uh, and I think it's a really great uh, way to just kind of set the stage for this morning is we're going to talk about chasing after greatness. We've been studying this for quite some time. Uh, Jesus trying to get it through the heads of his disciples and, and let it sink into their hearts that greatness comes not by trying to achieve greatness, but by being humble. By seeing yourself, not, not as less than, but saying, I'm a servant of the Lord and I'll do whatever it is that he desires of me. I, uh, I've become uh, a fan recently of Formula One racing. I don't, still don't know much about it, but a few months ago I was having dinner with some friends and they're talking about uh, Formula One racing. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's pretty big everywhere else in the world except America, I think. Uh, and... The amount, hundreds of millions of dollars a year are invested into each team that races uh, in these races all over the world. They fly cars and they fly their teams of about a thousand people to all of these major cities all over the world. There are only 10 teams that compete in F1 racing and it is, they're the biggest of the, uh, of the biggest when it comes to car makers, Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, all of this and, and every driver wants to drive ultimately for Mercedes. They, there's just something about them and the way that they build their cars uh, uh, that, that all of these drivers devote their lives to. The crazy thing is, is that there are only 10 teams that compete in each of these races for an entire season. Uh, there are only 20 drivers, two drivers per team. And uh, so you've got to imagine there's thousands of drivers all over the world that train and want to someday be an F1 driver, uh, but only 20 make it. They are all chasing greatness. The whole goal is to win as many races as possible, to get as many points as possible, that at the end of the year you are the world champ. But it takes thousands of people to build engines, to design cars, uh, to run the pit crew, uh, to make sure that this one person is the greatest in the world. And if they win, obviously they win millions of dollars and prize money and fame and notoriety, but they then get to wear the num- or have the number one on the side of their car for the entire next season. And for that entire next season, those drivers have to chase greatness. They have to chase number one and, and try uh, to beat it. I don't know if you are an F1 fan. I've watched way too many documentaries and YouTube and, and all of that on it. Uh, and, um, and I'm not even that much of a car guy. I'm a, I'm a Volkswagen guy, which a lot of people don't count as cars. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I thought of that because uh, when we talk today about this text and this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples, it's once again talking about they, they have this desire. We want to be great. Put us in a position of greatness. And he again has to say, It's not a position that I put you in. It's a position that you surrender to. 
that you submit to. And, and in that, the Father sees your humility and the way in which you serve others. And the last shall be first and the first shall be last. How many times does he have to say it? Well, he has to say it again because of what takes place with James and John and their mom. All right, so let's stand together and let me read this text to you today. This is Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Uh, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we're able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at the right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom the Father has prepared it. When the ten heard it, they became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you all know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but not among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beautiful words. Let's pray. Father, we're about to dig in uh, and unpack this text. I pray that, that it would be um, your Spirit's power that would work today in, in giving me words to say, in giving us ears to hear. Uh, we know that your word is, is powerful uh, on its own. Uh, Father, that you could show us through the power of your Spirit what it is you want us to know just by reading that text. So today, uh, I'm, I'm humbled, Father, to just be able to get a chance to just explain just a little bit more. But may the power, may the power come from the work that you do, Father. And we'll glorify you in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> so just to catch us up, as I've said over and over and over again, the last few chapters, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about about humility. Uh, a lot of time devoted in the Gospels to talking about humility as Jesus' followers, which means we could all probably say, I need it. I need, need to be reminded this every day about who I'm not and who I'm supposed to be and who God has rescued me to be. And even though I don't deserve it because I am a sinner, but I'm saved by His grace, not because uh, I'm anybody special, but because He chose to love me. That, we have, that, that I've been rescued, redeemed, and I just want to live into that. I don't walk around. We don't walk around with an ego and pride and trying to puff ourselves up. Jesus says, no, no that's, your job is to, is to be humble and to be a servant to other people so that they could know how good God is, that God is number one and he needs to be seen as number one in our lives. Last week, uh, Pastor Ethan explained uh, the, the text that was prior to this, this interaction that Jesus has with the disciples, because they are on their way down to Jerusalem. They're going to witness, the disciples are going to witness firsthand true humility as Christ willingly goes to Golgotha. He lays himself down on the cross. He allows himself to be arrested. Even though people said, come down off that cross and prove who you were for us, for our sins, so that we could be redeemed, he stayed on that cross and he died. And so he was telling the disciples, what you're about to see 
It, I mean, this is the most descriptive that he had been, and I will be arrested, and I will be flogged, and I will be beaten, and I will be crucified, and I will die, and I will be raised on the third day. And you would think that what would follow that would be a long time of, I don't know, a period of mourning by the disciples or an interaction with them about what do you mean about this? But what do we see take place as soon as Jesus explains all of this? Here's what's going to happen to me. The very next thing that happens is here comes mom with her boys and like, we need need something from you. Right? What? He just poured out the truth of what was going to happen, that he was going to give up his life. That he was going to be arrested and he didn't deserve it. That he was going to be flogged and beaten. You'd think the response would be, take me. Or what can we do to make sure that we can try and stop this? But instead, you know, like all of a sudden, like the tension is broken by, here comes this lady with her, come on boys, ask him. You know, Uh, because chances are pretty good that she was present uh, when Jesus had explained to Peter. Because Peter, remember uh, a few weeks ago? Uh, we talked about, Peter said, well, we've been following you around everywhere, Jesus. What are we going to get out of this? And he said, uh, in my kingdom, uh, there will be 12 thrones. And those thrones will judge uh, all people. They'll play a, an important role. We don't exactly know what that looks like, but, but those 12 that followed Jesus closely were going to have a very specific role. And so chances are pretty good that she had heard Jesus mention this. The assumption in this, you've got to kind of really put all the Gospels together, but the assumption in this is that this woman, her name is Salome, and she uh, is thought to have been the the sister of of Mary, Jesus' mother. So you add that, you got the family element all of a sudden, possibly, that she's Jesus' aunt and they're his cousins. And so, hey, I'll go ask them, you know. Maybe they went home afterwards and said, you're never going to believe this, Mom, but but Jesus said that someday in the kingdom, we're going to all sit on thrones around him. Well, which thrones, boys? I don't know. He didn't say. Well, you didn't ask. You deserve to be the right and the left of him, the, the positions of power. Obviously, you're not going to be king, but, but you should be at the right and the left. You spend a lot of time with Jesus. He seems to love you. And, and, and so, well, I'm just going to go ask him. Uh, if you're not willing to, I'm going to. And so she breaks through and... And has this, not even a question, Jesus says, what what would you like? What can I do for you? What do you want, it says. And she doesn't even say, well, please, sir. She gets in a position of humility. It says she gets down in front of him, so she's on her knees. And then what does she say? She doesn't ask for anything. She demands it, right? What can I do for you? You know, Here's a guy who, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to picture this, where he just says, I'm, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be murdered and killed and it's going to be painful and miserable. And she comes down and falls down on the, her knees in front of him. And, and you would think the next words out of her mouth are going to be so comforting and caring and pleading. And he said, what is it that, that you want? Well, before you go off and die, could you make sure that my sons are going to get these powerful positions? Can you just say it so everybody can hear, so that we know? No care in the world, it would seem, about what is going to happen to him. You know, James and John were known as the sons of thunder, and and many people assume that it comes from 
Luke 9, as they were leaving Jerusalem and with Jesus and they came into a Samaritan village, uh, they got kicked out. The Samaritans didn't want them there. And James and John come to Jesus and Jesus says, what's up guys? And they said, hey, uh, do you mind if we call down fire from heaven to destroy this village? <laughs> right? And so that's the assumption is where they kind of get their names, the, the sons of thunder. But after this, I kind of think maybe it came from mom. Maybe mom's the thunder, right? Like, I'm just going to, we're going to get this taken care of right now uh, before this guy leaves us. So you guys are going to be important and you're going to sit at the right and the left. And she has this command for him. And, and Jesus knows where it's coming from. It's not coming from her. Because he then says to them, he says, I don't think that, that you guys know what you're asking. You don't understand what it is, that, that what it's going to take for you to be in positions like this. They still didn't know. They still didn't process what it meant when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, that it's here and it's there. That Jesus is king now. They thought that he was just going to rule here on earth. They, they couldn't even hear this concept and idea that he was going to die and raise from the dead. All they knew is, we just want the seats of power. They were chasing after greatness, but they didn't realize that what they, truly was happening is that they were following greatness. And they just need to walk closely behind him. If we do decide that, that we want to be number one, that we're going to chase greatness, first point today is that we have to count the cost. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't think you guys know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup uh, that I am to drink? And when we hear that in Scripture, that was always referred to suffering. Um. Suffering typically that came from God's judgment, his punishment, his wrath on people. And Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, that I just told you about, that I'd be arrested, that I'd be beaten, that I would be crucified, that I would suffer for the will of the Father, that God's wrath for all of the sin of mankind, rather than put onto us, was put onto Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you want to be great. You're going to have to go through what, what I go through. Are you prepared for that? They didn't know what he was asking, but they're like, yes, yes. We are, we're able. We, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes. Persecution, death. Jesus knows they want the power, but he also knows that they don't want to go through the methods that it's going to take in order to get there. Because what it takes to be great in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is laying your life down for others. James actually would experience this. We read about it. He's the first of the apostles to die uh, for, uh, for the sake of the gospel. We'd read that about that in Acts chapter 12 as Herod comes and kills him by the sword. That's why Jesus says, you will drink the cup. You will suffer for my sake. You will, you will be martyred. For my name. But at the time of the conversation, they didn't know what they were asking. Because they hadn't been listening to what Jesus had been teaching the entire time. And I think that's a lot like, that's a lot like me. Right? I get pretty wrapped up in, in Paul. 
and, and, and pumping Paul up and doing what Paul wants to do. Uh, not the apostle, the goofball of here. Um, but I get so distracted that I, I, I so often fail to seek the kingdom first. What he wants from me first. What his desires are for me first. The brothers were just focused on status and power. And making sure that, that they got the better seats than everybody else. That's the world that we are living in today. I just don't want a seat. I want the best seat. I, I don't want just that. I want the best of that. I don't want anything except for the best. They were at least humble enough to let Jesus be the king. We just want the right and the left. That's not too much to ask, is it? And so they respond, we're able, whatever it takes. When you made the decision to follow Jesus, did you, did you say the same thing? Right? I mean, so often when we present the gospel to people, we say, this is how what you need to do to have your sins forgiven uh, so that you could go to heaven someday. And people are like, I'm in because I, I want heaven. And so often we don't also say, but it comes at a price. One, the price of Jesus' life, understanding the depth of that, the magnitude of that, but also your life as well. You are, you are saying goodbye to the old life. You are, as, as they say, killing the old man. And you, are, you become a new creation in Christ. And so everything that you constantly have been pursuing in, in your selfishness, that all dies. That's all left there at the foot of the cross. And, and you now are given new life to live for Christ, whatever it is that he requires, whatever it is that he desires. And we follow close to him. We stay obedient to him and his desires for us. And I will tell you, Jesus says, there will come suffering because of it. And, and it's not, listen, it's the suffering that, we, that, that Jesus is talking about is suffering for his namesake. Because uh, the world pushes back against us when we try to make his name known. So we can't just say, oh yeah, I've suffered a, a lot you know, in my life. I know that there, there are struggles and there are pains and there is suffering. But what Jesus is talking about when it comes to suffering is not just that we've had, as, as bad as it is in our lives, that we've had sickness or the loss of a loved one or, or disobedient children, whatever it is that we think that we're suffering with. Jesus says, if you follow me closely, you are going to imitate me and things are going to happen to you like they've happened to me. You're going to be rejected by people. You're, you're going to have to say no to a lot of things that everybody else is saying yes to that's going to put you on the outs with everybody else. Your name is not going to be lifted up as great, but it's going to be dragged through the mud and people are going to mock you and make fun of you and talk to people all over the world today. Persecution and, and martyrdom and death is real and it is taking place. We don't really see it much here in our country, but the way that the world's going, it's coming. And... and and Jesus says, if you want to be like me, then you have to be willing to suffer for the, for the will of the Father. And, and are you? Are you faithful in the little? Because 
That's going to be able to tell if you're going to be faithful when the really tough times come. Luke 14, Jesus has a couple of parables that he's trying to get this point across to uh, his listeners. And he begins by by talking about, uh, about thinking that you're a somebody. And he says, look, if you go to a wedding and you show up at this wedding... Do not go right away and sit in the place of honor, right? The seats of honor that are there. You go and you sit in the, the lowest space, the, the, the invisible space, the one that nobody really wants to sit in. Because if you sit in the place of honor, all of a sudden when, when the bride and groom come and they see you in their seats, you're going to get booted out. That's going to be really embarrassing because you're not the center of attention is what Jesus is saying. So put yourself in a humble position so that you could be lifted up. Then he goes on to say, if you throw a party also, as you're throwing a party, go out and don't invite the regulars. Don't invite all of the, the people that are normal party goers. If you're going to throw a party, he says, you go out and you grab people that live on the streets. You find the people that nobody wants at their party and you bring them in. That's what it means to be great. As you become a servant to others. And, and Jesus says, people are going to think you're, gonna, you're wasting your money and you're ruining your reputation but, but he says, that, that's what it means to be one of my followers. And then he says really important words. He said, so count the cost before you make a decision. Nobody goes and builds a building without figuring out the budget and what it's going to take. And do they have everything? So Jesus says, if you really want to be one of my disciples, you really have to decide. Do you really want what comes with it? Are you willing to sacrifice, to risk and renounce all that you have, he says in verse 33 of Luke 14. If you are not willing to renounce everything. It doesn't say willing. It says if you don't renounce everything. In other words, you just say, God, what I have is what I have, but it's yours. It all comes from you and you can have it. I, I don't need prestige. I don't need honor. I don't need titles. I don't need applause. I will just be a servant because that's what you've asked me to be. For your sake, that your name can be lifted up. And I will tell you, I don't know how many times in, in my life that, that I have let my name and my desire for my name get in the way uh, and, and block people from, I think, from being able to, to see and know the name of Jesus. Are you making his name great? If you do not renounce everything that you have, you can't be my disciples. It's not just stuff, it's attitude. It's pride and ego. If you just say, I, I, I don't want any of it. Because I don't want to get in the way of people seeing Jesus. He says, you can't be my disciple. But to share in his mission. And what he desires to do in the world means that you have to share in the cost. And that's what he says. Are you willing and able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Are you willing to suffer? To sacrifice for me? James and John, they say they're up to the challenge. But we'll get to this in, in, a, in a while. But in chapter 26, as Jesus is arrested, uh, they abandon him. Right? No, we're in. Just like Peter. No, 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 no. We would never, we would never abandon you. Like, we're in. Whatever you're going to go through, we're going to go through. And Jesus gets arrested. Like, we're out of here. We don't want to go through it. But when the Holy Spirit came upon these men, when they stayed faithful, when they saw the resurrected Christ, when they accepted that great commission to go and make disciples, they went out with great power to the point where James 
laid down his life for Christ. And Jesus says, you will drink my cup. In other words, you will suffer like I suffer for the sake of the mission. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it has been prepared for my Father. Just that statement alone is Jesus showing that he's the greatest example of one who has humbled himself. For in his humanity here on earth, he said, I'm still going to let the Father make the big decisions. I'm going to submit to him. That's his role. Even though he was God, it was in his humanity that he stayed subordinate to the leadership and the will of God the Father. Less of me, more of him. That has to be how we live our lives. I will decrease so that he can increase whatever it takes so that his name and his power and his authority could be made great to people. And it's so upside down the way that it works is that the way that people see how great God is is through our humility, our service to others. So count the cost. Are you willing, willing to sacrifice everything so that, so that God's will could be made known, that, that none should perish, that people would know who he is? If you want to chase greatness, you also have to know that there is, there's a risk to it. And we see it here that after this question is asked and Jesus talks to them about suffering, it says that, uh, when the other ten heard it, so the other ten disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. In other words, they were angry, furious. How, what are you guys thinking? What in the world are you doing? Part of it would have been, maybe did you not hear what he had to say, but the other part would have been, well, how dare you ask him before we got a chance to ask? What makes you think that you're so important that you get the right or left? It might be me, that I'm supposed to be at the right and the left. We know that, that they had this discussion because we read about in the other Gospels that Jesus asked them, what were you guys talking about on the road? Ah, oh, we're just talking about who's probably going to sit at your right and the left. Like they're arguing for themselves, forgetting everything that Jesus had taught them. These two brothers are showing, on, showing what's going on in all of their hearts. They were chasing greatness. They just wanted to be the best. And the others are changed by it. They're angry by it. Because those are the things that destroy. That's, we see it. This destroys community. Our passionate pursuit of self hurts relationships. It breaks down in community. Because we all think that we should be the best. We all think we should be elevated. We all want to be applauded. That's the sinful desire of our heart. Jesus says, but in my church... In, in my people, I want everybody to serve one another, and then nobody has to worry about being great. Because we're just caring for each other. The desire for power doesn't just corrupt the one in pursuit of it. it we all know this. Whether it's in our relationships, our families, church, careers, it leaves a wake of destruction behind it when somebody decides, I'm going to make myself 
better than everybody else. I'm going to see myself as better than everybody else. James 4.13, this is the truth of Scripture. What causes quarrels and fights among you? All right, get ready for this. Couples, as you're going home today, this is the answer. What, what's the root of quarrels and fights among people? Is it not this, James says, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you don't get, so you murder. You covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What causes dysfunction in relationships? Your passions are at war within you. I want what I want. We all know this. But this causes, this is at the root of all of our arguments and fights and marital discord is that somebody got selfish. And then somebody comes along and says, well, I'm not going to let you win because why should I let you win? I should win as well. And then next thing you know, relationships are a disaster. So if you want to mend relationships, if you want to have strong relationships, be a servant. Serve one another. In all that you do, the greatest power doesn't come from holding others down, but from lifting them up. That's what Jesus says. He flips the script on on this world that we live in. Because in Jesus' day, the Romans, that's how they they controlled everybody. And he, he says that. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority. They walk around, puffed up, telling people what to do. Stop that. Go do this. Why? Well, because we said so. Instead, Jesus says, if you want to see greatness, don't don't live like the rulers that are over you. Be different. Serve. Which was foreign to everybody. They didn't see that in their leadership. Jesus was the greatest servant leader, and he said, that's what I want from you. Just serve one another. Shh. Stop trying to scream your name out to everybody. Stop trying to seek applause and power and all. Just serve. And, the, and as, we ser- as we serve quietly, the angels in heaven are roaring with applause. Our focus is just to, to please the Father. Jesus has become slaves to each other, which obviously has a, a really ugly history in our world, but that word doulos in Greek means bondservant or a slave. But, but when Jesus has to be a slave of one another, a, a doulos, what it means is that you willingly enter into the agreement. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you have me. Not, I've been taken against my will, and now I'm, now I'm suffering and serving under somebody. It's that I'm willingly entering into this relationship to say, I'm here to love and to serve and do whatever it's going to take so that, so that you can have the joy of life. So Jesus says, so if you want to be great, become a servant, become a doulos. Be a slave to one another. Willingly enter in to say, what can I do for you? Because I care. This is what God sees as great. Giving up our self-appointed rights for the sake of others. 
power has the potential to corrupt uh, a person. But serving starts at a place of selflessness. Because our role then is, I live to glorify the Father by enriching the life of somebody else. What a great mission to be on, to put ourselves on. But it starts with full submission to Christ as our authority and our director of our lives. Consider the risk of chasing after becoming great. And, and today, if you're like, yeah, you know what, I, I, know, that, I know that I've been doing it. I, I mean, just take an, an evaluation of the relationships that you have. Are they broken? Are they hurting? Are they suffering? Go back to people and say, what have I done? That, that's, uh, I'm sorry for, for chasing after myself. I just want to serve you. Because if we all do it, it's all good. Right? And, and so... So it can't be like, yeah, I want, we can't sit back as Christians and say, yeah, you should serve me. No, so I want to serve you. And that is the most beautiful community that we could have. But we also need to become a learner as Jesus wraps this up. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm the living example of it for you. I've modeled it for you. Become a slave uh, to the people around you. Willingly enter into laying your life down for others just like I am about to do. The thing that you miss because you're thinking about greatness. But I'm about to give my life up for you. And if I'm going to do it and you want to follow me, then you need to do it as well. Here's one of the the coolest things that I love about this getting back to, to F1 racing. Ten teams, 20 drivers, two drivers per team. But only one can be world champion. One driver can be world champion. So what that means is that, is that teams go out and they, they try to hire uh, the best driver that they possibly can that's going to win them a championship. They're going to be the one that's going to be known as great. But the only way that they can get there is that the, te- the team also has to hire a second best driver who blocks for them, who runs interference. Th- they might definitely want to be world champion, but there are times when the team calls on them and says, today, you don't get to win. You have to make sure that your teammate wins. You've got to block for them. You've got to move in such a way, maybe even get in front of them and create some draft for a little bit so they can get somewhere. But your job is to be number two so that the one who is great can continue to be great. That's the thing about this racing that, that I, I just go, this is, this is exactly what God calls us to do. Is to be so willing to say, I will give up the grand prize of me being applauded so that, so that he can be known. That his name can be made great. And they start, they say, always start with that, that second driver that they hire is somebody that, that someday is going to get their shot. But for now, their job is to learn from the best and to make sure that the best stay the best. I think that's what we've been talking about the last number of weeks is Jesus says, the last will be first and the first shall be last. Are you willing to be last? Because first will come someday, whatever that looks like in his kingdom. A disciple of Jesus Christ 
focuses their life on becoming more and more like Christ every day. Even as the Son of Man gave his life up as a ransom for many. Just to wrap this up, that idea of ransom, we go back to Exodus chapter 13. The rescue of God's people out of Egypt. And as they're moving across the desert as God had taken the life of the firstborn of every Egyptian. But the blood of the sacrifices on the doorposts saved the lives of the firstborn of the Israelites. When they get out into the desert, God stops them. The first thing after they cross the Red Sea, God says, I want you to set apart for me the firstborn over all of my people. They will be the ones that will serve me. Well, what happens, you fast forward to Exodus 32, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and the people freak out. They don't think he's coming back down, and so they make this golden calf, this false idol. Moses comes down, he's furious. God is furious about it. And, and, and Moses says, is there no one here that's on God's side? But the Levites, the tribe of Levi, rise up. We are with you. And God calls them to do some pretty hard things, but because of their obedience, God says, you are now set apart to be my chosen people. You're the ones that are going to be serving my people. And so the Levites now are, are the firstborn of the nation. The, those that, the firstborn of all the Israelites were now no longer set apart to do the work of God. Now it was the tribe of Levi. Now you get to Numbers chapter 3, and, and God tells Moses to take a census of all of the firstborn. And there are 22,273 firstborn of the other 11 tribes of Israel, but there's only 22,000 Levites. And so the math isn't adding up. How can the Levites be set apart to represent each and every one of us when the firstborn, there's more firstborn of the Israelites, and God says, well, then, then I want all of the people to, to pay a ransom. It means I want you to pay a price to redeem yourselves, to make things right. So that the Levites would be the ones that would be the, the intercessors to do the work of the Lord. So that you could go and they would become your servants through the redemption price that you are going to pay. All of that. The exodus. The Levites being set apart. The ransom is all a, a precursor to, to point the picture to what Jesus just said. I'm the one, I'm going to be the servant for all of you. And I'm the only one who's, I'm, I'm one for the trillions of people that will exist in all of eternity. Only Jesus was enough to be that ransom so that we could be set apart. To be his followers, to be his people, to be rescued, to be redeemed, and to serve. What that should do to us, that he laid down his life as a ransom, he willingly became the suffering servant to redeem us. And Romans 8.34 says that his sacrifice of his life resulted in his resurrection and God placing him on the throne where he now today is not only ruling over us, but he's still serving. It says he's making intercession for us, between us and God. He's pleading on our behalf to the Father to give us what we need, to do what it is that he's called us to do. Jesus is our king, but he has never stopped being a servant, no matter who you are. Recognize that your life has been redeemed, rescued, and saved, and never stop. Following Jesus. The only way to do it, though, is you've got to stop 
chasing greatness. What you do is you just walk really closely on the heels of greatness and model him with your life. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your beautiful word, what it is that you continue to show us. As I said, Father, we, we've looked at uh, this theme for weeks on end because it matters. You know our hearts. We desire so deeply to have this world revolve around us. God, may it end today because we know that, that what happened on that cross allowed us to be able to put that to death, to just say, I, I just want to pursue the greatness of our God. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for redeeming us, rescuing us, and calling us. Thank you for letting us be a part of your mission, that we get to be your servants. Amen.